Welcome to the Dover Download Podcast, your weekly look at what's going on in Dover, what's going in in Dover, and all things Dover-related. My name is Chris Parker, and I'm the Deputy City Manager here in Dover, and I'm going to walk you through all of that, plus more. Here in the Dover Download podcast, we typically talk about development here in the city or projects here in the city or activities, boards, commissions, committees, departments, service areas, and inform the listener about what those activities or developments are are doing or occurring. Today, we're going to have a little bit different perspective. We're going to start by talking with a couple who moved to Dover, who I recently met, and I'm intrigued by the conversation about why someone would actually move here, especially as someone who's lived here for for 40 out of 48 years or something close to that. I'm curious when people tell me they came to Dover, what brought them here? Uh, as someone, particularly, uh, I like to say I was transported here by my parents. I was I didn't choose. I chose to stay, clearly. But I like the idea of exploring why people move here. And so I'm joined today by Aaron and Yuting Williams, who are four-month transplants. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, starting October. October. So I guess five months in March. Five months. <laughs> uh, and if you want to uh, maybe uh, introduce yourselves to the listener and we can chat about why you're here. Yeah. I'm Aaron Williams, and I am a web developer that... Uh, Actually, I have a job right now that's in Dover. Uh, I'm Eugene Williams. I'm Aaron's wife, and I'm originally from Taiwan. And after meeting Aaron, uh, I eventually chose to immigrate here about five years ago. You came from Alabama. Alabama. Most directly. Yes. Um, and I want to get a little into that. But I discovered you uh, because I always like to find other podcasts that are similar to what we do. And so I will put in the search city or city of or something to that effect to see where we can learn from other podcasts and see what other communities are doing. And so I came across your podcast, the the Your City podcast, and its message of community building. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to chat a little bit about that. I'd like to chat a little bit about what I understand you are a editor and developer of of, podcasts. not programming, but yeah. uh, certainly content in the sense of the podcast. And you are a baker. Yes, I'm also kind of like Aaron's assistant, you know, with, on the, with podcast. the podcast. <laughs> For example, Aaron doesn't have social media, but I am pretty active on social media, so I help run that. <laughs> so Aaron and I have something in common. <laughs> uh, so what I'd like to talk a little bit about that, but what I see that as is an interesting development we've seen from an economic standpoint over the past really five to 10 years of digital nomad. You could live anywhere. You could do anything uh, from anywhere in in this day and age. So I want to chat a little bit about that. But let's start off with why Dover? Why did you come here? Well, we were already looking for a place to go, really. um, Ting being from Taiwan, she didn't really take to Alabama. We tried a couple of cities in Alabama. Uh, We lived around Birmingham. We lived much further south in a very rural part. Uh, We had five and a half acres of land, and Mm. I found out very quickly that Ting doesn't like outside. I mean, it's (laughs) it's not because it's rural. It's because, well, Taiwan is an island, first of all. It's a very small country. The entire continent of island is smaller than the state of Alabama. But I grew up by the sea, and right next to it, you have really tall mountains for hiking, all sorts of activities. So I'm used to having that 
easy proximity to things. And it's only a three-hour flight to Japan. So I used to travel a bunch to neighborhood Asian country. And when we were living near Birmingham, it was like, we are four and a half hours away from the ocean. We are four hours away from Smoky Mountains. And I just feel like there's not enough things for me for what I'm used to. Birmingham's not, when you compare it to where she came from, Birmingham's not a very large city. Sure, yeah. She's from basically like, you know, Tai- Taiwanese New York or something, yeah. right? Like they, <laughs> it's a huge metropolis that right. spans the entire northern part of the island. I definitely miss public transportation a lot when I was there, you know, because mm-hmm. in Birmingham, there's not a metro system. And that's what I used to, I used to take the metro every day and we had bullet trains. So it was really easy for me to travel and never get into a car. So I just feel kind of like, I, I didn't like the lack of walkability in the part of Alabama we were living in. And- so it's truly a culture shock in that regard. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And that was one of the challenges that me growing up in Alabama, being a Domino's delivery driver when I was, you know, in my 20s, had never, I'd never thought about, right? Like I'd never thought about, you know, what if a 25-year-old person came to Alabama and didn't know how to drive? What happens? <laughs> and it turns out that uh, it's very intimidating for somebody who doesn't know how to drive and who didn't grow up in that to learn those skills and feel comfortable getting around on interstates and getting around on mm-hmm. highways where, you know, one wrong move can cause a crash. I'm going to simplify it, the question, but okay. it's, it's probably a deeper question than I'm going to make it. You're a native of Alabama. I am, yes. So you have to, your partnership, presumably. Yeah. So you have to be willing to move as well, right? It, it's yes. not just your discomfort or your lack of enjoyment, Tim, yeah. but Aaron... You've got to be part of that decision-making. So what's it like for you to go through that mental process of saying, just actually, as Ting said, I'm going to leave Taiwan and move to the United States. You've got to go through that same exercise of saying, I'm going to leave my country, Mm -hmm. quote-unquote, and move as well. Yeah. When we got married, I I told her, it was like, if Alabama doesn't work out, we can go somewhere else. I told her straight up that you moved here for me and I, I... I knew that that level of commitment needed to be matched. So our first idea was actually, well, we'll just move to Taiwan. We'll move back to Taiwan because that's what Ting is comfortable with. We, she has family there. And then COVID happened. And every, everything just kind of changed around. Then you didn't the need world. a car because you couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so we started looking, okay, what are some places that we might be able to find common ground that we can move to? And so we searched for different areas. We went to Houston, Texas, mm. and uh, we went to New Hampshire. We checked out Maine and we checked out Massachusetts. We also went to Georgia. And we mm. went to Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, yeah. and we went to North Carolina. Yes. Uh, the Raleigh area. Raleigh, okay. Cary. There's like multiple cities in, around the same yeah. area. So. Mm-hmm. And some of the stuff that was driving our search was she was really wanting to be close to a Chinatown, like close to an area. Familiar food, really. Familiar food and familiar culture that she could go to. And so Houston has a big Chinatown. Sure. And they have direct flights to Taiwan. So that seemed oh. like a win. And I think there are only three airports in the country that have direct flight to Taipei. Yeah. So. And so that kind of seemed where we were thinking about going to. And, and then I wanted to check out New Hampshire we went to Boston's Chinatown, and there's actually a lot of Taiwanese culture in Boston's Chinatown. They have a um, a lot of Taiwanese cafes and bakeries and there's stuff. Taiwanese flags everywhere. It's mm-hmm. fascinating. 
And then with Raleigh, she had heard a lot of stuff about North Carolina. So she's in a lot of Facebook groups where Taiwanese people are. And she's asking them, like, hey, where are y'all at? Sure. (laughs) Basically. Because they move around. Yeah. And so there were a bunch that mentioned North Carolina. So that's why we went to go check that out. And uh, a lot of of them in Boston, like we were saying. Mm -hmm. I was ready to make that commitment. I was ready to go to Taiwan and, you know— learn learn the language and and make that same commitment that she did but she decided that she wanted to try to stay here she thought it would be a good place to stay in america and so we started looking for different states nice before we get too far and i'm going to throw in a little digression which is my wife and i traveled to toronto about the time you were moving here uh which we'd never been there and if you ever get the chance they have a a tremendous chinatown in in uh, toronto We had, we we did one of the, like the afternoon immersion, just yeah. like get lost in their Chinatown. It was a lot of fun. It's, it's, there's, uh, it's different, but similar to Boston's in the sense that everything is closer together and, yes. and there's a lot of energy and a lot of activity. You, you just uh, walk around and it, it feels more dense, you know, right. and you can explore a lot of different businesses by just walking. So. And, and for us, it didn't feel touristy like New York's or mm-hmm. San Francisco's does. They mm-hmm. both feel like they're on the, the tourism map oh, yeah. as opposed to the functional explorer's map. So Wonderful. I want to get back to you. <laughs> back to you. Um, so that was one of the elements, I assume, that proximity to the water, proximity to To other. the Chinatown. Like, it's so easy if we want to go to Boston, easy to go to Portsmouth, easy to go to up North Conway, the mountains, but also Dover itself offers a lot. I was going to say Dover actually reminds me a lot of the town that I grew up in. I grew up in the suburb of Taipei City. So I originally was born in Taipei. But when I was in elementary school, my parents moved me, you know, to the suburb because they thought it was a better area for children. Also, housing was a lot more affordable than closer to downtown. And I grew up in a neighborhood where it's tons of mom and pop shops completely walkable. And the people who live in the town want mom and pop shop. We do not want corporations. Mm-hmm. And that is what we lack when we were living in Alabama. We were living in town was like, you got McDonald's, you got Wendy's, you got all the corporations. I mean, they're not bad, but there was a lack of small businesses. And and I really miss that. And mm-hmm. I'm so glad that since we got, since, since we arrived in Dover, it was so easy to walk around and explore. And all the own, uh, owners in downtown Central Avenue are local. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of the things that we really liked about New Hampshire when we came here. Like, we checked out Nashua, Manchester, uh, Derry, London Dairy, and everywhere that we went. Even when we went to like the outlet malls, there would be a local New Hampshire pride kind of hey, local artists made this yeah. kind of stuff. Even in the malls where you know normally it's all big corporations and international chains and stuff like that. So. That that really attracted us was the attention to local community and how much people how much pride people have in the where they're from. I'm trying to envision what a first winter would be like, and uh, <laughs> winter is very different than what I grew up with uh, here. But I'm mm. curious; it's, it's got to be amazingly different than what both of you would have considered Absolutely. a winter. I've never like. seen snow until I got here. I was gonna say, yeah, there's no snow in and, Taiwan. I mean, and, you have to drive to the very top of the mountain to see some. Yeah, so she, you know, Taiwan gets like 50, the coldest you'll see is 45 degrees, right? So like I'm walking around in a 
t-shirt and shorts because it's 60 degrees outside yeah. and everybody else is wearing scarves because yeah. it's cold to them. <laughs> it's very, very different. It's like um, going to LA. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, and for me, Alabama, 20 is cold. Like, oh my gosh, it's going to be 20 outside. So most of the time it's between 30 and 50. Like that's what winters are over there. Occasionally we get snow and occasionally it destroys everyday interactions. Nobody can go anywhere. Everything's With everything just falls two apart. Two inches of snow, nobody uh, not, can drive. Two inches is crazy. That's a whole bunch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that'll shut down the entire state. <laughs> so coming up here, seeing kind of how how y'all react to snow and stuff like that. Okay, when it's while it's snowing, it's a big deal. But afterwards, you just shovel it out of the way and you get back to it. Right. <laughs> so talk to us a little about how your career path led you to have the flexibility to to move around and what that's like. Yeah, I think that actually also has a lot to do with COVID. So mm. we, I used to work in the office and I'd have to go into the office. That was just an expectation. You could take remote days every once in a while, but no, very few people worked fully remote. It was just, you know, not, not the, the norm. And then when COVID happened, everything went remote. I worked, I worked at companies where I never met those people before. I've just never met them in person. It was fully remote. And once, once that happened, we kind of realized, okay, we, can choose where we want to move to, and I can just work remotely wherever I want. That I don't want to say was a COVID was a good thing, but that was definitely something that gave us a little bit more freedom out of it. So that that's kind of where we started. Originally, we were going to move back to Taiwan, and we were just going to have a conversation with my boss to see if I could work remote, and if not, then I was you know I will try to find a remote job, and or I was going to look to change jobs basically, but. Once that became an option, we were like, oh, okay, well, now we can go kind of where we want to and it doesn't really matter. But to be honest, I actually started missing going into the office. I guess I'm just, I just like to talk to people. So I, I'm one of those people too. You know, we, when we did remote work uh, during COVID, I was very infrequently home, hmm. uh, mainly because I have an office that I could shut myself off with. So I wasn't going to be in contact with other people, but from the creative collaboration standpoint and from the standpoint of, I feel more professional when I'm actually in a professional setting as opposed to my dining room. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I totally agree with you that there's a certain aspect that we're going to miss. Yeah. Yes, there, there is. And we were living in Gardendale, Alabama, and I, just I just got super lazy with things, you know. I'm just walking around in my sleep pants and hey, can you go get the mail? We need to go get groceries. And I'm like, ah, but then I gotta get dressed. And and it I just kind of came to this conclusion naturally that even if I'm at home, I need to get yep. dressed and prepared for the day. I need to treat it like I'm gonna go out. I need to be ready for that if it happens. And I just started missing that because one of the things that happens when you're working remotely is the only time you talk to your coworkers is about work right? and you don't talk to them about how's, you know, you don't have that water cooler chat. You don't go out to lunch together. You don't, you don't get to know each other. Yeah. And I started really missing that. So what you're saying is you're not building community when you're working remote. I, I think you struggle to do it. I think it's much harder. It's you have to be hard. very intentional to do that. 
I've heard people, uh, friends of ours who work remote, and they will try to do um, like an online game day where, hey, we all get online and do a simple online game together so that we can still sort of bond because we're on the same team. But it's really hard when you're not seeing them face to face. And Aaron currently, he works for a company located in Dover, but he's doing kind of like hybrid so sometimes he needs to be home, take care of things for me around the house. He can. And when he has time, he will go to the office. And I think that hybrid is really good because he, he is meeting people at office to build a relationship with him. But he also still had the flexibility to um, be around house or if we ever need to travel to Taiwan, he can work remote. So I used the term community around the water cooler to help convey in my mind what I see your your podcast focusing on. And yes. So I'm curious if if you want to give the elevator speech to the listener or uh, <laughs> sure. certainly we can plug it in the show notes for the episode. We can put the link to your podcast. But well, let's let's yeah. talk about your podcast. Well, thank you for giving me an opportunity to it's a collaborative shamelessly, <laughs> shamelessly plug and advertise for myself. Um, it's called Your City Podcast. And I started it in November of 2020 uh, after a lot of thinking about what to do. Um, I wanted to start something that was focused on getting to know each other. And that's kind of where it started. And in that, I fell in love with community. That's It was kind of doing through the podcast is where I fell in love with it. I just felt like people don't know who their city councilors are. People don't know who their mayor is. They don't know who the decision makers are in the cities that they're in. They they have no clue who these people are. And so there's there's people at your city level, there's people at your county level, there's people at your state level and at the federal level who are representing you to your government. And no one knows <laughs> who's your state representative. How many people could answer that question? I can't answer that question right now. And that I th- I'll send you the list. <laughs> that that would be good. It's something that I need to catch up on. But I started doing that research when I was in Gardendale and I wanted to do something where, you know, the tagline for the show is get to know your neighbors so that you can be a good neighbor. And I, I sat down and I thought about like, what are the ways that we can become better to each other and Mm -hmm. getting, being a good neighbor seemed like uh, this, this is where you can start at is you have to know somebody to be able to be a good neighbor. You can't, you can't just, not know who the people are around you. I mean, I guess it's possible in today's age, like you could have everything delivered to you and you could do your work remotely for a business that's not in your area. Like it is possible to live that, but it's a very isolated life. So what I find interesting though is you can do those things. And and for a lot of things in our lives, that works really well. But that actually almost encourages you to be more involved when you can be more involved because that disengagement, that sort of self-reliance standpoint is really good till it's not. Mm -hmm. And from a mental standpoint, from a social standpoint, from a cultural standpoint, we all get so consumed, whether it's in work, whether it's on our phones, whether it's in a remote standpoint, that I think we value and cherish those in-person conversations all the more. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to uh, play into why what they call a third place, mm-hmm. you know, the bar, the restaurant, the community center, those sorts of things have more value now because we've had the isolation and we've re-engaged in a way. And, and to me, that's what your podcast really is encouraging people to do is meet those people, learn those those customs, ingrain yourself so that when you're back in your 
own piece of the world, mm-hmm. you're not isolated because you know, oh, I chatted with so-and-so about this project and that's that's the connection I need to make. And mm-hmm. what I liked about uh, listening to the first two seasons of your podcast was there are some elements that are very similar universally. Mm-hmm. That sort of, what does a mayor do? What does... Uh, the local historian think is the important part of their community to focus on. What does the local business owner hope to achieve? Mm -hmm. Those are universal. How they communicate that and how they go about their path of finding that and and, and, uh, engaging in that, that's what's unique to each community. Mm -hmm. And so there were a couple topics, I I told you this before, there are a couple topics I was like, you know, it's it's not so much for me. But I'm going to listen to the whole thing because I want to learn what I can do better to re-engage my own community. And that's, like, I think, the last thing that I liked and I'm curious your your reaction to is I looked at it as a way for me to hear how other people have engaged and then self-reflect and say, okay, as someone who's lived here for so long that I, I feel like I should know who all those people are and who those things are, how can I treat my community with fresh eyes hmm. and and re-engage in my community. Uh, so I I liked learning from your podcast and I appreciate the the honesty behind it. Well That's thank awesome. you. Yeah. So sweet. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's a really and you didn't bring me cookies. <laughs> <laughs> We're still getting we just bought a house. We're still getting it together. I cannot wait to get back into baking for real. I, I don't eat cookies. I'm just I just like you the don't. No. We'll talk later. <laughs> okay. But thank you for that. You know, it's really touching to get a review from somebody who's listened to the, the whole show, to the whole show and everything. One of the things that I wanted to do with the first season was I wanted to, I wanted to try to talk to local leaders. That was the idea was let's talk to the people who are impacting Gardendale. And so that's why I chose to talk to the mayor or a pastor at a church or the the coach at the school, because football is huge, by the way, in Alabama. I don't know how y'all feel about it up here, but it's a big deal down there. So talking to the coach, was that was a win, in my opinion. I was trying to paint a picture of like, hey, if you were to capture like the, the influential people of Gardendale and get to know them, that's what I was like, let's, let's not just choose hey, I just want to talk to the city council members, and that's uh, that's all we're going to talk to. I literally wrote down in my notes, religious leader, education leader, because I want to get from different domains. Yeah. I, I didn't mm-hmm. want to just talk about one domain the whole time. I wanted right. to kind of like— You don't want to reinforce. You want to explore. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that that's a good way of describing it is exploring. You know, I, Kathleen uh, Phillips in Gardendale, I told her, I was like, I kind of want to just discover Gardendale. Mm-hmm. And— and she really latched onto that word discover. And I guess explore is another way of saying that. It's like, yeah, we're, we're trying to help people discover yeah. different areas. And I like to talk to places that allow for volunteering as well. Because like uh, when we did the charity episode with Just Keep Smiling, that episode, like yeah. I was very proud of that one. I thought that that was a, a, a great set of stories to share. And they're putting on events and they allow for volunteering and they allow for people to get engaged with those stories that they are creating. Right. And that to me was really, really powerful. And, and what's interesting about a scenario like that is you've got the umbrella of giving back to your community and yes. getting engaged. But my takeaway was you can be committed where you can be committed. 
and not you're not making this umbrella commitment. You're making a commitment to help this charity or help this activity and to strengthen the community in the area you can get behind. Because yeah. I think like the different people we interview, they all give back. In、mm-hmm. their own way, and that's an inspiration to make you think. Okay, how can I give back? And for example, like we love cats, and I'm a crazy cat lady. So okay, maybe I can participate in、uh, things in town that help out, you know, help out animals, stuff like that. And one of the things we decided pretty early on with the show is we do not want it to feel. Uh, like it's about how we feel. It's not. It's not about how we feel about the city. It's not about our opinions. It's just about sharing their stories and help inspire the people. And the listener can decide for themselves what they take away, what they learn. Well, that's great, and I I appreciate, as I said, the the honesty of your podcast and the emotion behind it that you've just shared here. But also, I think you get that it's it's an authentic. Experience,、yeah. uh, with the podcast. So, you're here now.、Mm-hmm. Where do you go with the podcast? Well, my first thought was, okay, I need to do a couple of New Hampshire cities now, and so we're focusing、uh, our next season on the city of Dover. We've already got three episodes recorded.、Uh, I'm in the process of scheduling a fourth recording. Hopefully, things will be coming out in May and June. That's、nice. when I'm hoping things will. Start coming out. My goal is always eight to ten episodes. So if I can get if I can get eight to ten people to talk to me, I feel like I achieved something. Good. After that, one of the things that I've been challenging myself with lately is,、uh, you know, she politely put it as we didn't want to insert ourselves into the podcast, but <laughs> that is something that I've been challenging with lately. Of like, well, I'm talking to all these people and I'm gaining a new perspective. And if I I need to figure out a way to to communicate the some of the stuff that I've learned along the way without messing up like what she's saying of like I don't want the Your City podcast to be about yeah we're talking about Dover but we're actually just talking about what Aaron thinks of Dover、yeah. right I don't want to do that but I want to figure out some kind of way of allowing some of that perspective. To come through, so I, that you know, maybe starting a blog or maybe start. I haven't figured it out. It's、mm-hmm. I don't want to make any promises or tell anybody, hey, this is what I'm doing next. But that is what I'm kind of thinking about right now is、uh, how do I how do I share some of the perspectives and things that I've learned along the way. How do you relate but not pontificate? Yeah, yeah. So that's the challenge at the moment.、Um, probably after Dover. We'll just pick another city that's local or within driving distance or reachable around here. You know, probably not going to drive up to Vermont or anything. But so we won't let Pittsburgh, New Hampshire, know you're coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just give them a, just you know maybe maybe eventually, but it'll probably be somewhere around that's、uh, reachable around here and has some interesting aspects to it that I you know want to talk about. Typically, at the end of the podcast, I ask the, the guests to say. Two or three things they think makes a community unique. I think I would spin it a little differently with the two of you and say, beyond walkability, which you've mentioned, and beyond the geography, are there things that make you think? I'm glad we are. The five months we've had here have been what we expected or what we haven't expected. Before we get to that, I want to give you an opportunity if if you want to plug the podcast a little bit more. You, you certainly just did,、uh, but also. I'm curious, and I think the listener would be. 
Are there other podcasts you like that you would encourage people to check out mm. as well? And I ask that to both of you, if there's something that you like that maybe someone can discover on their own. Well, I listen to I listen to things that Aaron doesn't like to listen to. I like crime stories. <laughs> I watch a lot of those crime videos. They're so popular these days. So I listen to a lot of crime junkies. But a podcast that we both love, that we think really promote the ideas that we agree with is Strong Towns. And I'll let Erin fill in on that. Sure. Yeah, she'll come to me with like, look at this story where this guy murdered a so-and-so. I'm like, I don't want to know about that. (laughs) And uh, yes, Strong Towns is definitely one of the guy who does that, Chuck Marone. I love the way that he approaches talking about issues. He really has a great way of explaining things and helping you understand what the challenges are of of a topic. And that one is great. I I would recommend. Anybody who's interested in localism or local community to check out Strong Towns. There's also a couple of other ones from that same group. The Upzoned is another one from him. One of my favorites is Hardcore History with Dan Carlin. I love listening to Dan Carlin tell me stories. And he really, he's like a... A sucker for context, you know. He he wants to make sure that you're understanding these are the these are the factors that are weighing on the decisions being made at this point in history. And he'll go in, he'll read soldiers' journals about different events and stuff, and he will really explore. Like he did World War One. I'm not kidding when I say it's it's six four hour episodes where they just talk about World War One. It's 24 hours of World War One topics, and I listened to all of it, and it was just like wow, this is so heavy. And you learn so much in a classroom. You just read a couple of pages and you, Mm -hmm. these are the highlights and you move on. You don't really get a sense of like, people don't understand what the future is. They don't know where World War I is going to end. These people are scared. They don't under, they don't, they have no clue if they are going to push back the Germans or if the Germans are going to take over. And so they have to make decisions based on that. And mm. That's why you get such, why did they do this? Why did they do that? And looking back on it, they should have done this. And it's like, you don't know when you're in the moment. And history is, uh, I think, very important to kind of like spend some time and effort in, in understanding. Oh, yeah. I kind of want to unpack how you could listen to a four-hour episode, uh, but we won't go there. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> how long did that actually take? Uh, I do want to circle back to, as I said, we, we like to wrap up with uh, two or three things that you think make Dover unique, make Dover stand out. And it could be uh, beyond the, the geography, uh, why you settled here or what you've discovered since you've been here. Okay. I think the people here are extremely nice. Now, this is something funny I tell all of our friends and family back in the South. When we told them we we're going to move up north, they're like, oh, but you're not going to have the Southern hospitality because that's not what the South is known for. You know, mm-hmm. like you will go to a shop and people will just small talk with you. Like it's not like when you're in a really big city, people only only mind their own business and it's very fast paced. And when we got here, we realized that if if in a way, it feels very similar to the South. People absolutely love getting to know you. There's so many times that we just want to stop by, you know, a local grocery store or a boutique, and we ended up staying there for so long because we're talking to the owner. We're just talking to another customer because a lady saw me picking out these girls. Like, oh my gosh, that color looks so good on you. You should totally get it. 
and that turn into a conversation. And that's what I love about this size of city. It's, it's, it's not a super big city. It's not too rural where people are far away because everybody only drive to a destination. Mm-hmm. And I love how people care to get to know you. Hmm. So. Yeah, I would echo that. Um you know, I like I said, I like talking to people. So that's how we get caught up in those situations. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff that I've been really enjoying about Dover, one of the reasons that we came to New Hampshire was we really liked, but in moving to Dover, we were like, okay, Portsmouth has its own charm and its own attractions, but Dover has a lot of, like the, the people who shop in Dover are the people who run the businesses in Dover and, and the people who there's a there's a lot of people that I've talked to that are like you, Chris, who are like, yeah, I've lived here my whole life. And that is very interesting to me. And I've, I've been really enjoying that aspect of it, of uh, you, you seem to have a lot of people who are like, yeah, this place is, I really like this and I, want, I, I want to contribute to this. Yep. One final one or are we good? Um, go ahead. Bring it <laughs> on. No, no, no. I'm saying, is there another, give a, a third element oh. or are you good? Uh, Lickies and Chewies. <laughs> we love we going love there and getting the hot chocolate and I, getting the the homemade chocolate. I loved how Dover is small, but it offered pockets of everything. Mm-hmm. Like you got nice cafes, not to mention all the great restaurants. You got antique shops. You got arcade. You even got a board game store. Yeah, and usually you don't see this variety in in a town this size. So that has been wonderful. So and then that also shows you how supportive people are here to the mom and pop businesses so that this, this could even be a thing. You know, that, that makes me think as well, like we, I mentioned Lickies and Chewies and they make their own chocolate, but there's also places like a lot of breweries around here. There's a kombucha mm-hmm. brewery. There's a bakery in the mill over here. There's actually a lot of places in Dover that are making things. Right. So, you know, right. her talking about that makes me think, yeah, that, that's another aspect that I really like about Dover is like, there's a lot of stuff that y'all are making. Cool. Well, I appreciate you both coming in. I encourage the listener to check out your podcast and uh, encourage you both to keep exploring the community and to reach out as you need to. Thank yeah. you so much for having Thanks us. Thanks for having Chris. us, Chris. And if you want to see the podcast, you can find it where, wherever you find podcasts. It's on YouTube and it's on Odyssey. Enjoy the day. Thank you. With almost 400 years of history, Dover's got a lot to tell. Up next, Mike Gillis is going to walk us through what happened this week. This week in 1905, a young boy opened the door of his apartment at Platt's Block at the corner of Main Street and Portland Avenue and stepped out into the main hallway. It was a Sunday evening. For reference, a portion of what was then called Platt's Block remains today. It's the rounded building that wraps the corner of the two streets and is now home to a more 24 hair salon and spa and apartments. As the young boy bounded out of the apartment, he nearly stepped on a large bundle of cloth left just outside his door in the hallway. He picked it up and carried it back into his room. Unwrapping the bundle, he discovered a weeks-old infant. The sight of the baby caused the boy's sister to scream. Running into the street, the boy flagged down police. Police immediately took the baby to the police station. They saw that the baby was a healthy girl, maybe 10 weeks old, with black hair. The baby girl smiled at police as they wondered how to resolve the mystery suddenly on their hands. The girl was taken to a local woman who often tended to children in cases involving police. Over the next two days, police would hear a number of rumors and pursue several leads, but most would lead to dead ends. Police got their first break when a man came to the station after reading about the case in the newspaper. 
He said a woman who lived next to him in his tenement building on the Woodman block had been missing and that he was concerned for her well-being. He told police the woman was distraught, saying she was unable to find work and no longer knew how she would take care of her newborn girl. The man also told police he knew the baby's bottle was pink, which matched the bottle found with the baby. Later that day, the man's wife would positively identify the baby as the girl belonging to the missing neighbor. With the woman's picture in hand, police would eventually find themselves in Rollinsford. There, they located the woman who had recently been hired by a mill in town where she worked and lived now. Police said she was known locally as Madame Duchamp, but that her real name was Emma Bluen. She was working in the mill under the name of Mrs. Files. Emma Bluen would tell police she did leave the baby at Platt's Block, saying she had no money to buy food and care for the baby. She also told police she chose the spot because she knew her baby girl would be found there. She said the baby's name was Amanda Doobie and had been born on February 17th of that year. Emma Bluen's story would turn out to be a sad one. She was a woman now in her 40s who had lost her husband eight years prior and had seen seven of her nine children die. The father of the baby she left at Platt's Block was a man from Rollinsford. Police arrested Emma in Rollinsford and took her back to Dover, where she was placed in a jail cell at the police station. She was held on $500 bail. The day after her arrest, she appeared before a judge in court. She told the court she was unable to make bail, and the judge ordered her held until her case went before the grand jury in September. It's unclear whether Emma Bluen would serve the ensuing months in jail. She had told police and the court that her mental health had been deteriorating for some time. In September of 1905, Emma Bluen did appear in court. In the case of the state of New Hampshire versus Emma Bluen, Emma's attorney, James McCabe, said his client was pleading guilty. The county solicitor asked that she be sentenced on the spot. The judge agreed, ordering Emma to serve a year in jail and to pay a fine of $100, as well as the cost of prosecution. The one-year sentence was suspended, pending good behavior and at the discretion of the county solicitor. Emma and the baby's father, Paul Doobie, vanished from the record at this point. We can only hope that Amanda Doobie was able to live a happy and successful life. We do know that when she was 20, she was living in Fall River, Massachusetts. We hope that was just the beginning of a new journey. Thanks for listening to the Dover Download this week. If you like what you heard, subscribe through your favorite podcast aggregator. And if you have something you want to hear a topic on, let us know. Finally, this is just one of the many ways we share information about the city of Dover. You can subscribe to the Dover Downloads email newsletter every week or other newsletters that we have by going to the City of Dover homepage, www.dover.nh.gov. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.